right? There's the story of a, on a beautiful spring, sunny summer Sunday morning, the pastor got up and he announced to his congregation, he said, my good people, I have in my hands three sermons. I have a $100 sermon that lasts five minutes, a $50 sermon that lasts 15 minutes, and a $10 sermon that lasts a whole hour. Now we'll take the collection of the offering and see which one I'm about to deliver. So, Ken, you want to check the offering bag and see what we're doing this morning? <laughs> yeah, we, we could be here for, for hours, so yeah, it could be a long time. We are finishing up this morning with our, our series on reigniting our passion for God as we've looked at the, the importance of passion and for God in the Christian life. And we've also looked at seven passion killers that we need to be on the alert about that keep us from that nice, tight relationship with God, from having that passion with God, that we need to be, as the Bible says, on the alert to be aware um, at the temptations that are thrown at us because those things we have to stop doing before we can what? Really start living for God and having that passion. So this really hit me this week as I was driving down. You know, I, I go up to Ogden and, and, and Leighton quite a bit, and I was driving back down from Ogden, and there's this little car in front of me in the middle lane, and I looked at, you know, the back, because cars nowadays, they've always got the stickers and people are making, making political statements and all kind of stuff in the back of their car. And I saw one that had Jesus in big letters. And I thought, i got to check that out. <coughs> so I hit the accelerator a little bit, and I caught up, and I moved in the middle lane right behind it. And there was the sticker, and it says, do you follow Jesus this close? Yeah. <laughs> I thought, that's kind of apropos, you know. <laughs> kind of slaps you in the face a little bit, but it was a, it was a good message for our series that we're just finishing up with and the question this morning is do you follow jesus as close as you do traffic you know do you tailgating jesus you try to get as close behind him as you can and and it's a good thing to be that close to jesus we looked at last week about the opposite of having a passion for god if we allow these passion killers to infil infiltrate our life is apathy an apathy, an apathetic lifestyle, is not a biblical lifestyle that the Bible calls us to live. Christians should not be living in apathy, because the Bible tells us consider it all joy in all situations. It tells us that we have life, we have it abundant. It says that we have been freed, and if we are in Christ, we are freed and freed indeed. The Bible talks about being that light, that positiveness, that, that good seasoning to impact our world in a positive way, not an apathetic way. And so the challenge for Christians, if we find ourselves being apathetic and kind of the woe is me, it's like, we need to do something about that apathy. How soon? Immediately, immediately. And that's why we're looking at the seven passion killers, because these are seven things that keep us from really living and growing in Christ and being content in Christ and having that joy that is overflowing. Apathy in the life of a Christian needs to be treated like cancer. It needs to be removed immediately because if it doesn't, what happens with it? It spreads and it begins to take over. And so it needs to be completely cut out. We must live passionately for God because God lived passionately for us, didn't he? And if we want to reflect the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we need to reflect that passion for him in the same passion he showed for us while we were yet sinners, while we were yet rebelling against him, to love us so much, to die for us, 
and to take our punishment upon himself. That's pretty big passion, right? To care for someone that doesn't deserve it, that doesn't even want it half the time, and that could never attain that salvation, that Jesus takes our place because he loves us that passionately. And that puts things in perspective of why we should love and serve God passionately. Some of you may be old enough in this room. I don't know, I guess we'll find out. Do you remember the old movie, Chariots of Fire? Remember that one? Kind of maybe, could be a little fuzzy. It was actually in color. It wasn't black and white for those of you that are looking backwards. But Chariots of Fire is a classic movie about a guy named Eric Little. And he ran in the 1924 Olympics, and he won the gold medal in the 400-meter race. Eric had a passion for running, but he had a bigger passion for God. And the movie exemplifies this perfectly. He says that when he, he runs, he could, he could feel the power of God moving him forward. Well, in the Olympics, Eric had trained and was scheduled to run the 100-meter event. But on that Olympics, the Olympic Committee changed the 100-meter race to Sunday. And Eric went and told the committee, I can't run on Sunday because that's the Lord's Day. And it's a day of rest. And the committee were not, was not happy because the spotlight was on him. The world had known about him. And they basically told him he would have to run the 100-meter race, and he refused. Instead, he ended up running the 400-meter race, which he had not trained for. A race four times longer than the one he had worked for. Well, just before he went to run the race, a teammate walked up, had a little piece of paper, and he placed it in Eric Little's hand. And Eric opened the paper, and it was 1 Samuel 2.30. And it said this, To those who honor me, I will honor them. Eric didn't run the 100-meter race on Sunday because he felt passionately that that was the Lord's day. And if he had to give up even a chance of a gold medal to glorify the Lord, it was worth it. Eric went on to run the 400-meter race. And he not, only, he not only won the race, but he broke a world record of running that race in 47.6 seconds. And the movie attributes that to the fact of his passion for God. He would not move ground when it came to his relationship with the Lord, even though it meant giving up his life dream, giving up a gold medal, giving up winning a race that he had trained for all his life, to Eric, his submission to God was above everything else in his life. That's passion, isn't it? And that, that confronts us to ask us the question, and it begs us to ask the question of ourselves, what are we, what am I willing to give up to honor the Lord? Am I willing to give it all up? My dreams, my hopes, the things I've worked for all my life? Am I willing to give that up if God called me to, to honor him? And that's where passion comes into play. We are talking about reigniting our passion because sometimes we do become apathetic, don't we? We get to where we just don't feel anything anymore, we don't care about anybody or anything, and it drives us down. We realize that apathy kills our passion, and we also realized over the short series that whose responsibility is it to reignite this passion in our life, to, to draw near to God? Whose responsibility is it? I think it's Christie's. She's supposed to do it for all of us, right? 
It is our individual responsibility if we realize we have come in this secluded lifestyle, if we have shut ourselves off from the world, if we just don't want to be with anybody or God's people or anybody, if we have become apathetic, it is our responsibility individually to do something about it. To do something about it and to do something about it immediately. Just as the Bible talks about if we are tempted to flee that temptation, and we talk about that fleeing in the Greek word is not just casually walk away, it means what? To sprint, to run as fast as we possibly can. And the opposite is just as true, that if we find we are in apathy, we need to sprint and run as fast as we can back to God, because that's what God calls us to. In these seven items of these, these passion killers, we need to be on guard for them. So that if we see them approaching our lifestyle, we stop them. And then we do something about them that we can start living for God. So we've looked at six so, so far. First one was an unbalanced schedule. Working too much, which just drains us, or doing nothing which makes us just a little blob on a chair. We've looked at an unused talent that God gives us talents, and those talents and gifts are used how? For the benefit of others. We looked at a couple weeks ago that we are given these gifts and talents to serve others. And so the key thing there is if you find yourself apathetic, well, quit focusing on you and your apathy. Start doing things for other people, right? We talked about an unconfessed sin, how that just strangles out our passion for God because we can't have sin and guilt, re guilt residing where the Holy Spirit is. We need to deal with that and confess it. We talked about an unresolved conflict that the Bible tells us that a house divided will not what? Stand. A house divided will not stand. And if we have an unresolved conflict with somebody else, we are harboring and holding that conflict against them. And we can't share the love and peace of God. In fact, God also goes on to tell us, bless your enemies. Right? Don't hold things against them. Bless and seek reconciliation with them. We talked about an unsupported lifestyle of not being in fellowship by choice, that we have to be in the fellowship of God. I mean, it's, it's wonderful that even what we do, we have podcasts, we, we have uh, the YouTube thing to watch messages on, but the Bible calls us to be in fellowship with other believers, period. No excuse for staying home. We also looked at an unclear purpose of not knowing why God has brought us salvation. And the simpleness of that unclear purpose to know what our purpose is, is to glorify and enjoy God now and throughout eternity. That's our purpose. Now we come to our last one, number seven. But before we get there, two quick reminders. First, passion does not mean that you are yippy skippy joy joy all the time, right? That is that passion we talked about that's related with a feeling or an emotion. And feelings and emotions do what? They come and go, right? You have a bad burrito, those feelings and emotions are going to change, right? Passion for God is not a feeling or emotion. It's nice when we have it, but we don't always have to look super excited if we're passionate for God. 
More often, passion for God is that long, steady perseverance to do what God has called us to do. To weather the storm, to walk through the, the forest of despair, to come out on the other side, whatever it may, may be, that steadfast commitment to God to live our life for Him. We all talk about the fact that, oh, I would die for Jesus, just like Peter said. Well, Jesus comes back and says, I don't want you just to die for me. He goes, I want you to live for me. I want you to live for me now. And so often we realize that passion that we have for God isn't just the emotion. It's the steadfast commitment to God that we got in salvation when we gave our lives away and we accepted Christ's life in place for us. It's that perseverance, that, that continual going on for Jesus. Second, we realize that our passion for God completely centers around our relationship with Him. Right? Completely centers around our relationship with Him, where we find that we just can't live without God. We need to come to Him. We need to seek Him out, to hear His voice, to draw near to Him. We need, as the hymn says, to walk with Him, to talk with Him on a regular basis because we just desire that relationship. And one of the key features of going into an apathetic lifestyle is realizing that, hey, you don't have a need to draw near to God anymore. You just don't want to. That's a big boop, 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 right? that we realize if we don't feel that need to draw near to God, that we are being drawn away by something else. And we need to change that. I look, kind of look at it this way in my, my warped view of life. It's like, if I had a house and I had a toad that dwelt in my house with me, well, that would be kind of weird, right? But here's the question. If I'm in the house and the toad's in the house, do we have a relationship? No. We are both dwelling in the house in the same space together, but it doesn't mean that we have a relationship, does it? The sad thing for many Christians is that they live their marriages and they live their relationship with Christ in that way. That, hey, if I'm in church, then, well, obviously I have a relationship with God. Well, no. You can be in church and not have salvation. You can be in church for various reasons. You can be in church because you're a businessman and you're looking for new clients. Just because you're in the same room in the same place does not mean you have a relationship with God. We hear about it with couples as they have a living agreement in their home, but they don't have what? A relationship with each other. A desire to be with each other and to commune together and that's what passion is about, is about relationship. Our relationship with God. And the more we're together, the more it grows and becomes bigger and bigger. We look at Jesus in his lifestyle, his example for us, about having a passion for God. Remember the story, and I always love this story because it's, it's bad parenting. I mean, this is hilarious. And it's really parenting like probably most of us would actually parent after a couple kids. But Joseph and Mary probably would have been turned into social services in this story in our modern age, right? Remember the story? They're leaving Jerusalem, and they're in this big caravan, and they're, they're heading out of Jerusalem, and they're going back home. And all of a sudden, they realize, hey, we don't have Jesus. We don't have our son. You know how long it took them to realize this? Three days. I lost Jesus. 
It took the parents three days to realize their son wasn't with them. So they turn around, they head back to Jerusalem, they find Jesus, and here's where the passion of Jesus comes in, and his passion for his father. They find him in the temple teaching and speaking with the, the religious leaders, and Joseph and Mary rightly walk up to him, and they're like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're supposed to be going home with us. And Jesus makes this statement in Luke 2.49. It says, And Jesus said to them, why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And I love how the New American Standard and IV put it because it's, he says, I had to be there. Joseph and Mary were step-parents, basically, for Jesus, right? God loaned him to them to bring him up. But Jesus desired to be with his father. He had a passion to be with his father. And he didn't just say, well, I wanted to be here where my dad was. He said, I had to be here. Didn't you know that? I had to be where my father was. Later on, in Luke chapter 4, verse 6, we read, it says, And Jesus came to Nazareth. This time he's a man. He's on his own. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as it was his custom, he entered the synagogue on a Sabbath and stood up to read as it was his custom, which means what? Jesus was there on a regular basis. It was part of his lifestyle. It wasn't just something he did one day a week or one day a month. Being in the church, in the synagogue, was a lifestyle for him to be in fellowship where his father called him to and to be where his father was. And finally, we see Jesus before his crucifixion and everything where he comes to the synagogue and there's all the money changers out there making money off the people before they go into, the worship, into, the, into worship. And what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't just bless them. He makes this big rope and he drives them out and overturns the, their tables and says, this is not a place of making money. My father's house should be a place of prayer and fellowship. He had a zeal so much that he would do anything and deal with anything that threatened that relationship. Do you see the passion in Jesus' life himself that he had for his father? He had to be there. It was his custom to be there. He did it always. It was his lifestyle. You couldn't separate the two. Jesus didn't say, well, you know, Monday through Saturday, I kind of do a little woodworking. I do some discipleship classes with a couple guys. And then, yeah, I go to church once in a while on Sunday. It was his lifestyle to be with his father because he had a passion for that. We need to have that same passion, don't we? That it's our custom to be in the house of God and in fellowship. People should not even question why we're in church because they know we love God so much. That's where we want to be with other Christians and other believers to worship, to pray, to hear the word of God, to glorify him. All that to bring us to this point. Passion killer number seven an undernourished spirit will kill your passion an undernourished spirit anybody in here like to eat yeah well from looking at you i like to eat more than you do right food is good and i love to eat right most of the times the honest truth is i don't eat just to sustain myself to be healthy i eat because there's food and it tastes good right i have that passion for food and that's the same thing that if we have an undernourished spirit, if we have been starving ourselves spiritually, 
it will wear on us physically. I don't know if any of you guys are strange like Christy and I and you watch like the, the survivor shows, you watch the alone shows where people are dropped off in some place and they have to survive and live. Well, the first thing they deal with is one, they struggle with not having fellowship. If they're alone out in the middle of this nowhere up in Alaska or Canada someplace, they realize the importance of being in contact with others. The second thing that hits them is that if they can't find food, starvation begins to set in and it becomes the focal point of their life, right? I've got to find food, I've got to get food. And when they starve, it affects their mental ability. You know, they do things like they say, well, you stand up and I got dizzy, I had to sit back down. When we are malnourished, it affects us physically, doesn't it? And the same is true spiritually. If we are spiritually malnourished, it affects our walk and our relationship with God. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors said this, he says, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. In other words, what is he saying? Our faith, our relationship with God should be top priority. In fact, in Revelation, Jesus tells one of the churches, you need to go back to your first love, which is in Christ right? You need to go back to your first love. Every morning when we get up, here's the truth. Throughout the day, we're going to face all kinds of trials and testings and circumstances and situations. I mean, this morning when I got up to get out of bed and I pulled the covers off, it was cold. I could have given myself all excuse to stay in bed, right? It was cold. I had to get up. I had that little fuzzy stuff or whatever it is all over my eyelashes. I didn't want to get up. I was comfortable. My first challenge was to get up and, and do something anyway, right? To make myself get up and go. And from that point on throughout the day, all of us have different things that come into our life, don't we? The temptation to take the easy way to do nothing is always there, right? It's the same in our spiritual life. Every day when we wake up, the devil and his advocates are going to try and get you distracted from your time with God. They're going to try and get you to focus on something else. And we, we talked about God saying, have no idols before me. In other words, have nothing before God. You see, like reigniting our passion, we need to willfully, purposely, intentionally nourish our own spirit in God. We need to make ourselves go to where God is, to pick up his word and partake of what he has there for us, to spend time in prayer, to listen for his voice. We need to make ourselves do that because there's always distractions. Since you've become a Christian, have you ever had one day where you didn't have temptations and distractions to try and get you away from God? I can't remember one. It's a battle all day long, right? It's constant. There's always stuff there trying to, to divert our attention to say, hey, look at me. Don't look at God. Don't be there. Look at me. Go do this. It's a lot of fun instead of being in that church, right? We have to purposely nourish our spirit. So how do we do that? Go back to the basics. Keep it simple, right? Be in the word of God. Read it. Hear it. Meditate on it, as the Bible says. Focus on it. And when we read it, don't just read it and say, God, what are you trying to tell me in this? What are you speaking to me in these verses? What do you want me to hear? Why? To apply to my life.
God, I don't want to just come to you and read your word like a book, a novel, a script. Your word is living and active and digs through the depths of my heart and breaks the hardness of my heart. God, what do you want me to glean, to gather, to, to, to take from your word as I read it to apply to my life today? Second, we need to be in prayer, right? Prayer not with the TV, the radio on, listening to a couple podcasts, maybe having a cup of coffee, making some breakfast. We need to have a prayer time where it's just us and God. As the Word of God says, go to a quiet place, maybe your closet, lock yourself in there, and just spend that time with God. In other words, separate yourself from the world and all the distractions and just talk to God to be with Him, to hear His voice and to talk. Also, we need times of worship, don't we? Individual worship, where you may just be singing songs on your own and just praising God or appreciating His beauty. One of the things when I used to have to drive to West Jordan all the time every day was driving from Bountiful to West Jordan and seeing the handiwork of God and His creation against the mountains and the clouds. Some days it'd be cloudy, you'd see the sun just kind of starting to break through. Other days, it'd be beautiful. In the fall, you could see the colors changing every day on the mountains. And it was just this wonderful time of half an hour just to drive down and see God's ever-changing beauty and say, God, thanks. There's not even an artist that could do this, and you do it every single day. In fact, you change it momentarily, and it's beautiful. We have to have times of fellowship, right? Corporate worship, corporate fellowship, and individual fellowship. And we have to have times where we just say, I'm shutting the world off and I'm seeking the Lord. And in that time of prayer, possibly even fasting, giving something up that we can focus on that time even more with the Lord and say, Lord, I've given this up. I need an answer from you that much. I'll get up, give up whatever, Lord, just speak to me. And I think finally, the big thing is to remember on our starting point of grinding that relationship with God is to realize how God feels about you and I. Have you thought about that lately? Have you thought about it this morning or this week? How much God loves you? I mean, how often do we think about that? We're driving, we're doing something, and all of a sudden it comes in our mind like, you know what? God really loves me a lot. In fact, let me think and dwell on the fact of how much God loves me. And he loves us with a passion. You see, part of one of the biggest issues of apathy stealing, sneaking in, and having an unnourished spirit is as that church in Laodicea and leaving our first love. Taking that first love for granted for all that he did for us. We know what it's like to take someone for granted, don't we? To where you've been with them a while and you really don't appreciate the little things they do anymore. You don't even notice them. You just kind of say, like, yeah, well, that's there. they're supposed to do that for me. That's part of who they are, right? That's great. What a sad thing in a relationship when we take other people for granted, right? We just assume they'll just keep doing this stuff for us and taking care of us and doing all this stuff, and we don't make time to look to see all that they really do to care for us. We often do that with God, too, don't we? To realize the impact that he went to the cross for us, and he said, I love you this much, and he stretched out his hands and gave his life for us. 
He endured the torture and the punishment that we deserved. But he deserved none of it. He took on our entire debt. And instead of allowing us to incur more debt, he gave us blessings. And his love covers a multitude of sins and wipes our history and our past out. He sends the Holy Spirit to be with us, to indwell with us, to overflow out of our lives like, like a babbling brook or stream. He seeks to be with us when we're brokenhearted and we're down, and he seeks to laugh and rejoice with us when we're on that mountaintop experience. When's the last time you thought about how much God loves you? You want to start your passion going and getting that supportive, nourished spirit, just realized how much God loves you. Again, that while we were yet, what, sinners? He died for us. He met us in that dark, horrible depth of despair place to pull us out of that when we weren't even looking for him. When we were running the opposite direction like Jonah. Remember good old Jonah? God gives him a ministry, a command, a, 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 an evangelism thing to do. And what's he do? He jumps ship and he goes exactly the opposite way. That's what we did in our spiritual life. And Jesus chased us down and says, I love you too much to let you go. I love you too much to let you do to your life what you're going to do. I can't allow it because I love you. Isn't that what good parents do for kids? When they're driving in the danger and they don't see it they're having a great time and the parent grabs them and stops them and you're like i love you too much to let you do that and they're like why this is what i want because you'll harm yourself and at that point they don't understand do they we are like that as we ran from god and he chased after us exodus 20 verses 3 to 6 and deuteronomy 5 7 to 10 tell us this in the commands and this is one of the commands that says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commands. Isn't it crazy that God says, hey, just so you know, I don't want anything to come between us, and I am a jealous God. He's like, our relationship is not a free-for-all. Our relationship is exclusive and sacred and holy. I love you, and I have a jealousy that drives everything else away. When we begin to get apathetic in our lifestyle, do you know what idol comes into our life that keeps us from God? Our three favorite people, me, myself, and I. Because typically, when we become apathetic and draw away from God, we are looking at ourselves and not looking to our Savior. We need to realize that when God seeks us out, he's not just coming and being like, oh yeah, there's another one of my creation. Yeah, I kind of duplicated them from this one and took a couple parts and made them. Yeah, they're there. I, you know, they're just kind of there. The Bible tells us that God knows the very number of hairs 
or in my case, lack of hairs on my head. And the rest of that verse goes on to say, if God knows that and God takes care of the, the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, how much more does he love and care for you? We need to remember the passion that God has for us. That again, while we were sinners and while we were yet in our mother's womb, he formed us with his own hands. He established our purpose before we were even born. And he called us by name before we, were e e before we were even out of our mother's womb. He loved us and desired us that much. And as we've talked about, even after salvation, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'll return when my father says it's done. All through our life, from our first inception to that point we die, that second death, and we're with Jesus, he is loving us and doing things for us and preparing things for us and upholding us and, and igniting us spiritually. He's always there and he always desires to be with you and me. That's passion, right? He says, even if you mess up, I'll come to where you are. I'll meet you there and pull you out again. That's how much God loves us. And that should drive our passion for him, shouldn't it? Love conquers all. The Bible says there is faith, hope, and love. But what is the most important? Love. And God's love reaches out to us no matter where we are, up or down, good or bad, and desires to be with us. And in the passion, we've got to realize we need to reciprocate that love. You know, you see two young people in the emotion of love, right? That puppy love. And they just can't outstop giving things to each other and compliment each other. Oh, you're pretty. Oh, well, you're handsome. Well, you're, you're prettier than I am handsome. Oh, no, you're much more handsome than I am prettier. Oh, you just, you know, and they just, they just keep giving, giving, giving. They can't outgive each other. And it's syrupy, sappy, sick, but it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? because they love each other so much they just want to be with each other and there's nothing that gets in their way. That should be our passion. In essence, what Jesus said on the cross was this. If I have to die to be with you, then that's what I'll do because I love you that much. Jesus said, I would rather die than live without you. I'll give everything. So here we are. Seven passion killers that we've looked at. Are you on guard for what they are that you can stop them? Perhaps you've got an unbalanced schedule, right? We need to come to God and say, Lord, help me have discernment and understanding that I don't work too hard to where I get to where I don't care anymore, that I have compassion fatigue because I've spent myself out so much? Or Lord, show me if I'm the opposite, that I'm not doing nothing for anybody. I'm just a lump on a log. And God, help me correct that. Maybe God's speaking to you today and God's saying, you know, I gave you that talent, that gift, that ability to use to bless others in church. How come you're not using it? It's not for you, it's for them. I gave you a gift to use. 
Or maybe you're here this morning and you have that unconfessed sin in your, your heart that as I speak, it just kind of dwells up in your mind. You know what it is, right? That you need to, just need to pray with God right now and say, God, I've sinned and held on to this thing and I need to let it go. I need to have forgiveness and the same love that covers a multitude of sins. God, I, I, I need your help in getting rid of this sin. Or maybe it comes to mind right now that you still have an issue with somebody. And remember the words of Jesus as people are giving their offerings. He says, if you come to my table and you are offering me something and you remember there is something against you and a brother or sister, do what? Leave your offering. It's tough. But go and make the relationship right. Perhaps there's some of us in here this morning that need to go and make the relationship right so that we can develop this passion again. Or maybe we're here just because we have an unsupported lifestyle and we just need to be in church. We need to be in the fellowship of other believers, encouraging them, serving them, and allowing them to bless us. Maybe we need to realize our purpose for living again is to glorify God and then to enjoy Him forever. To live for Him now, and then when we die, to live for Him in eternity. Or maybe we're here, we just need to realize, I've been starving myself spiritually. It's no wonder I feel down and apathetic. I need to change that. Sometimes I wish there were more pictures in the Bible. And the one picture I would love with this about changing our relationship with God are one of those big U-turn signs, right? You see those in the mountains where they have the U-turns? And basically it says, you need to turn around or you're heading towards what? Danger. Over the cliff. This road curves, and if you keep going that direction, you're going off the deep end. We need to be on guard that if we are struggling with some of these passion killers, that we need to have that U-turn in life. We literally need to stop going that direction, turn around, and go the other direction, and run back to God. Like Eric Glittle, whatever the race God has given us, we need to glorify Him, and God will honor us in that. I pray for all of us this morning that our passion would be reignited as we recommit our lives back to Jesus. And it's like, Jesus, I've been running from you. I'm sorry. I have been that prodigal son, that prodigal daughter, and I've realized, Lord, I wasted everything. And I come back to you now in whatever capacity you would take me. It took me falling down and running away and being a Jonah to realize how much you love me and how much I love you. And God, I need that passion with you, that steady, purposeful commitment with you. God, will you walk with me and talk with me? Will you give me instruction and wisdom and direction in how to do that as I listen for your voice and obey? May all of us here this morning reignite our passion for God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you give us the warnings in your words of, in your word of things to look out for that keep us from you, that, that distract us, that Make us look to the right or to the left and not keep our eyes focused on our, our path, our, our journey with you. God, we ask that you would give us self-control to put these distractions away. And if need be, 
to say, get behind me, Satan. You have no power here. My life is already sold out to God. Lord, we pray to reignite our passion to you, to serve you, to bless you, to serve your people, to be in fellowship, to have that contentment in our relationship with you, and to not waver. Lord, help us not just to be a small flame, but to be a roaring bonfire that can be seen for miles as we live for you. We thank you for your passion for us. We pray that we would have that same passion for you, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.